Hi, this is Robert Vendetti, and you are listening to Spoiler Country. It's time to enter the spoilerverse via our secret portal of the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Jeff. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Join the cult of Spoiler... Join the cult of Spoilerverse, and welcome back to Spoiler Country. I am Johnny Horsley, and today on the show, we have a repeat guest. Mr. Robert Venditti, writer extraordinaire, is back to talk about more of his current projects. Today, Jeff got to sit down with him and talk to him about Tankers, DC Generation Shattered, and a bunch more. And as you'll find out, Jeff is a big fan of Mr. Venditti, and uh, so am I. The guy is an amazing writer and a super nice guy to talk to as well. So... Without further ado, let's go ahead and get right into this amazing interview with Jeff and Robert in their own words. Hello, listeners of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we have the amazing return of Mr. Robert Venditti. How are we doing, Mr. Venditti? I'm doing very good. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. It's definitely my pleasure. You were my favorite writers going back to with Hawkman and Green Lantern, uh, Green Lantern Corps, I believe. Yep. Yep. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Oh, and uh, also Justice League. I mean, your your history of writing has been fantastic and you've been, um, the quality has been consistent for a very long time. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So right now you're working on a title called Tankers from a company called Big Idea. So what can you tell our readers about Tankers? Bad idea is as uh, the new company that's starting up. It's got some of the guys from uh, Valiant that I worked with there. Uh, Warren Simons, who was the editor in chief of Valiant, um, Dinesh Shamdasani, who was one of the CEOs of Valiant. Also Hunter Gordon, Josh Jobs, Adam Freeman, Carl Bowlers. They're all people who I worked with uh, during my time at Valiant, which is really kind of where I got my start in mainstream comic books. You know, I had done creator own things and stuff like that before, but. Valiant Next Man of War was really where I got my first sort of experience writing mainstream monthly serialized comic books. And so, uh, you know, I worked for Valiant for, I guess, I don't know, five years, maybe even longer. I can't exactly remember. I know I, I wrote X Man of War for 56 issues, I think. Oh, wow. So that's more, that's more than four years. But um, the guys from Valiant, you know, uh, the company had a lot of success. And uh, the company was sold. Um, and so a lot of the people that were at Valiant are now starting up a new company called Bad Idea. And just like with a lot of the staff, there's a lot of creators that are from Valiant that are working over Bad Idea too, like me or Matt Kent, Louis La Rosa, uh, Juan Jose Reap, um, 
you know, there's, there's many others as well. Uh, Eric Heiser, Josh Dysart, um, uh, Thomas Giarello, there, there's, there's a bunch. And so it's, it's a, a new company that's going to be doing uh, smaller uh, story arc, you know, type miniseries type stories. Um, you know, a lot of fun things going on there in terms of how they're marketing. And I don't know if you watched a lot of what they were doing over the summer with things like the button and, you know, the, a lot of the video content they were putting out and things like that. They're doing a lot of stuff that's sort of, you know, breaking outside of what traditional comic book marketing is, which is really fun to see. And so my book tankers is going to be, uh, their second release. Their first book comes out in March. Uh, it's called ENIAC and that's by Matt Kent and Doug Braithwaite. And my book tankers is, uh, with me and Juan Jose Reap on art and Jordi Belair on colors. And uh, that will be out uh, in April. So Tankers is going to be uh, three oversized issues. Uh, each one is 32 pages of story. Um, and it's, it's about a team of special forces uh, mercenaries that, that use giant mechs. And they are hired by the uh, oil companies to travel back in time and divert the comet that kills the dinosaurs so that the dinosaurs will continue to live and and die and, and create more oil in the future and so it's a very <laughs> absurdist yeah it's a very absurdist kind of look at uh uh humanity's dependence on fossil fuels and um it's just been a great story to work on i've had a ton of fun doing it it's unlike anything i've written before uh and i'm really excited for people to to read it so, from what I've read of um, Tankers, it's being described as a satire. Um, are you? I imagine you're satirizing the big corporations' lust for um, income, or or also you satirizing what people, the desperation people will do to continue fossil fuels in, instead of on renewable resources. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, right? It's about you know humanity's dependence on fossil fuel, and I'm I'm just as guilty as anybody else, right? I mean, I filled yeah. my car up with regular unleaded today, just like everybody else did. So, um, you know, it, it's it's meant to be uh, very tongue in cheek, you know. But we we play it all completely straight within the context of the story. Like this this special forces team, you know, at no point do they contemplate how absurd this idea is that they're going to. They've invented time travel, and they're going back in time for the sole purpose of creating more oil in the future. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it, it's all it's all very uh, tongue in cheek, and uh, you know, big action. You know, very absurdist, even in terms of the way that we we play the action. I mean, you have these special forces soldiers and giant mechs, and uh, they're fighting dinosaurs, and you know, it's like <laughs> it's like robots and dinosaurs and all kinds of things. And you know, it's part of what comic books does so well, you know, um, there really is nothing that stops you from making a comic that is, is as big and as bombastic as it can be. There's no, you know, budget limitations on that. It, it costs the same amount of money for you to do a comic book about two people drinking coffee in a coffee shop as it does soldiers and giant mechs traveling back in time and fighting T-Rexes, you know? So, um, we're really leaning into uh, the big visuals, and that's why we have these oversized issues. And, and Juan Jose Reap is so good at those things. You know, I worked with him uh, on two issues of Wrath of the Eternal Warrior when I was at Valiant, and I've just been wanting to work with him again ever since because he's 
he's so talented. He's uh, the amount of detail he puts in, and, and when you're dealing with a story like this, and you have these giant backs, but you're also going back to prehistoric times, and you know he's drawing every leaf on the tree, and you know all these dinosaurs, and um, he really also captures the humor of what we're going for. And again, it's not a comedy, right? It's none of, nobody in the story knows that any of this is absurd in any way. It's all played completely straight, but. Juan is able to capture these, you know, emotions and these facial expressions and these story beats and really lean into them in a way that that really gets us that over the top absurdist vibe that we're going for. And and um, I couldn't be happier than to be working with him on this book. Well, um, Juan, if I'm thinking about the, the same person, he's actually doing the art right now for Ray for Valiant, correct? I believe he is working on that. He's got some other projects he's working on as well. Um, he's drawn the first issue of Tankers, so he's already pretty far ahead on that. Like I say, we don't come out until April, and the first issue's already done. So, uh, you know, we like to be ahead of schedule. And Tankers is also going to come out every other month. So it'll be April, June, and August will be the release dates for it. But again, each issue is is 32 pages of Tankers story plus some other things as well. So it's a, it's a lot of content to generate. Well, from what I've seen of Juan's work, his art really is amazing. And I, I will say someone who does buy Ray monthly, it really is a, a beautiful looking comic. So I can just imagine what he's doing with tankers right now. Yeah. He's, he's a super talented artist and um, amazingly fast as well for the amount of detail that he puts in to his comics pages uh, for him to be able to produce at the rate that he does. Um, it's a real, real rarity. Um, so he's, he's an asset to any, any book that he works on. And, and I really like the concept for tankers. And I think you made a comment about um, people have time travel and, and they do it to, you know, for financial reasons, monetary reasons. And I think to myself, that feels really on point. I really do feel like if we did have the ability to time travel, we wouldn't be doing it for knowledge. We, you know, we wouldn't be doing it for any um, high ideal. It would be for money, just like the internet. We had this great thing for knowledge, but we use it for, you know, things for monetary reasons. Sure. And I, you know, that's part of the, uh, you know, uh, part of what we're, I guess, you know, satirizing as, as we, as we do the story. Um, and there's a lot that we satirize, you know, <laughs> we really, we really <laughs> pack it through, uh, you know, from the first page, you know, you can you really get the tone of what we're going for and uh how we're really just having a a good time skewering it but not doing it in a mean-spirited way because like i say i'm just as guilty of it as anybody else i drive a car just like everybody else does you know <laughs> so um it's 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 like what i try to do with a lot of my writing you know i try not to write about things that um i don't ever want to become didactic or you know lecturing my audience or anything like that you know i would never want to write stories where i would veer into that kind of realm um and this is certainly an example of that you know i it's it's never uh, it's never at any point that we're pointing the figure finger and, and uh, assigning blame to others you know it, it's it's very much we're all in this together you know yeah and and i really love bad ideas description of your comic and you kind of touch on it a little bit but they they uh, describe it as a Saturday morning cartoon that's run irresponsibly over budget. And I think that's an absolutely perfect name, uh, the way to describe this comic from what I understand of it. Um, so did you, what ideas did you have in mind stylistically in creating this comic book? 
there was a lot of things, you know, one of the things I want to do is, is make the team, uh, specialized in terms of who's on it, you know, and look at like an actual special forces team and you would have certain members, you know, you would have a sniper maybe, or you would have, you know, uh, a demolitions person, those kinds of things. And really kind of build this team out in a way that each mech was different from all the others and had specific functions, you know? So we have, uh, a heavy gunner and we have, uh, uh, a flamethrower mech and we have a, a missile launcher and we have a, a demolitions mech and one that does repairs and all that kind of stuff. So I really wanted to build out those things. And then Juan was really able to lean into those kinds of things with his design. So, you, you know, you have this flamethrower mech that has this giant gas tank on the back <laughs> and this yeah. huge monstrous flamethrower, you know, and, Nice. They're just torching everything and shooting everything in sight. <laughs> you know, it's just guns blazing all the time. And, um, you know, it was elements like that that were just really, really fun to build from the ground up um, before you even get into the plot of the story or the, the character arcs. And, you know, everybody on the team has their own arc that they go through as well as other characters. And, um, you know, the dinosaurs even have a bit of an arc that they go through, <laughs> believe it or not. And so, uh, you know, to really build that stuff from the ground up, you know, it, it taps into a a creative energy that's really fun and really um, invigorating. Uh, you know, and I guess the way I always describe it is, you know, you have working on pre-existing characters, which I obviously love to do, and and I've so much enjoyed working for DC and you know writing books like Hawkman or you know Superman and and stuff like that and. You know, it's, that's one kind of creativity because you're going into that job with a whole lot of continuity that's coming along with it and, you know, established history for the characters and their relationships with other characters. So there's a lot of scaffolding that's already sort of in place, which kind of represents a box. And your creativity comes down to, you know, what you're going to do to get yourself out of that box and what you can do creatively within the constraints of the pre-existing continuity of Hawkman and his relationship with Hawkwoman and all this kinds of stuff, right? Yeah, that's one type of creativity, and it's it's really fun to do. But a whole other type of creativity is like something we're doing on tankers, where you're just really building it all from the ground up. You know, from you know characters to character designs uh, to plot situations to character arcs, all these things. It's all new. It's all fresh. The first time the reader sees it will be the first time that they've never seen anything with these characters, and so that's another kind of creativity that is also very fun. And I like to have that balance where you're doing, you know, some of those. So my also understanding of the comic is that you guys are, that, that you're putting the butterfly effect in, in into a, um, or using the butterfly effect as a concept. So because the, um, contractors stopped the asteroid, allowed dinosaurs to live further in the modern era, we're going to have highly advanced, um, dinosaurs. Is that correct? Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. So they go back in time and they divert the comet. Uh, they killed the dinosaurs with the intent that the comet's going to take like one more round around the galaxy and then come back and kill the dinosaurs anyways. But you would have had another 30 million years or whatever of dinosaurs living. And so there'd be, you know, more, more oil in the present because it's more organic matter that's, that's going to go into the ground. Uh, but something goes wrong with that and the comet never comes back. And so they return to the present and they find the present in very much different shape than it was when they left and the dinosaurs have become hyper-evolved. So they're still dinosaurs, but they have um, 
physiological attributes that they've evolved over the additional 60 million years that they've lived and not gone extinct. And so, um, you know, that's all stuff that we get into uh, in the series as well. And uh, all this is based in Texas. Uh, the, the oil company, Greenleaf Oil, that puts all this in motion is based in Texas, and the tankers all leave from Texas, and uh, they return to Texas, and they find Texas to be a very different place uh, than it was when they left. So, so how much time will we spend exploring the alternate history of the Earth from how the dinosaurs impacted what happened? Yeah, a lot. Most of the series, actually. Uh, you know, the first issue is sort of the initial mission to go back in time and and divert the comet, and then we spend the rest of the the series pretty much uh, in the present and seeing how different the world is now. Well, I mean, the, the, the idea just sounds fantastic. I, I love, especially someone who grew up loving dinosaurs, it just sounds like it's going to be one of those fantastic good old time type stories that, and kind of almost like something um, like the 90s stories that were just so much fun action adventure type stories that we don't seem to have um, around that much nowadays. There's definitely, yeah, there's definitely an element of that, you know, and, and you really tapped into it. You know, the idea of fun, like the comic books can be fun, right? Like, I, I like, you know, serious comics just like everyone else does, you know, and there's amazing works of art. But I also like, you know, 80s and 90s action flicks. And, you know, I like Predator and, you know, I like Total Recall yeah. and, you know, I like stuff like that. And it's just it's just fun. And so, um, you know, we're definitely trying to tap into that energy um, and, and introduce you know, that feeling back into the marketplace in a way that I don't know that you see as much of uh, anymore as maybe we used to. And now the other thing with bad idea that I've heard about is that they're going to have a very unique distribution system, uh, making how they make their issues available a little bit different than, let's say, DC or Marvel's doing. Um, so instead of, I guess, instead of being mass distributed through like Diamond, I guess they're going through select stores. That, am I saying that correctly? Yeah, I'll I'll do my best to explain it, but I guess don't quote me on any of it because I don't work in the, the, the marketing or sales end of the company. But they have 100 stores at least. It might even be a little bit more, I can't recall, um, all over the world that have signed on to be bad idea uh, destination stores. And so rather than going through a distributor like uh, Diamond, you know, the, the books are going to be sent directly to those stores. And um you know, it's really about making every bad idea release an event, you know. Uh, you have to go to the store and you get it. And th th there will be other avenues, I think. You know, a lot of the stores are doing mail order and things like that. For somebody that wants to get the comic, but you don't live near one of those stores, um, there'll be other avenues for you to get them. But they're going to be very high-quality comics in terms of, uh, you know, uh, Print standards, you know, paper, cover stock, things like that. Content-wise, every issue is going to have a main story and a backup story. Um, so there's a ton of content. You know, you get two stories in every issue. Uh, you know, a, a lot of care going into the books, uh, really making everyone feel, like I say, every time a bad idea comic comes out, it's like an event. Because they're also doing limited releases. I think they're, they're only putting out maybe two comics a month as opposed to like a whole slate of, you know, 12 or 20 or, or six or anything like that, you know, and, and they'll always be rotating in new stories because everything they're doing is a limited series. So 
you know, ENIAC is four issues and Tankers is three. And as ENIAC ends, something else will begin. And, and so there's always going to be new things coming out. And, you know, just a lot of the, the energy and the excitement, the bad ideas building around the company. Again, like I say, you know, the sort of off-kilter marketing approach that they've embraced. They've done a lot of over the summer, uh, you know, whether it be, like I say, the button or a lot of the, the video content that they've put out or anybody who's seen the panel that they just did for Baltimore Comic Con and, and, you know, the amount of creativity and uh, concepts that they, that they packed into this one-hour panel at Baltimore Comic Con, they're taking it much further than just, you know, your traditional sort of Zoom panel. Um, all of that plays into kind of the culture that the company is building. And I can tell you that Tankers is going to play heavily into all that as well. I mean, I'm, as, as we speak, I'm at an undisclosed location uh, <laughs> uh, scheduled on Wednesday to go do... Uh, um, I'm trying to word this carefully. Uh, scheduled on, on Wednesday to go do uh, a shoot for... Uh, some of the marketing that we'll be doing for tankers. So very um, cool. Bad ideas really leaning into a lot of those things in a way that's uh, that's really fun and, and uh, invigorating. And the other thing for our readers, uh, I mean our listeners, to to recognize, from my understanding, is that there's going to be no collected versions of tankers, and there's also no digital versions. So they will have to buy single issues from the store if they want to read it. I believe that's true, but I again, I'm not in sales or marketing, so I don't want to um, say anything definitive. But to, as far as, yeah, to my knowledge, I think that's accurate, yes. Like you have, you have to get the comic when the comic is at your shop or when you buy it, you know, mail order or whatever, because once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah, and, just so, and also for our listeners to know, even though you're working on tankers, you're not leaving DC comic books. Is that correct? That is correct. I have another project I'm currently working on with DC uh, that I've been working on for a few months, and I expect an announcement will be coming from that pretty soon. Um, but Hawkman just ended, uh, you know, a week ago. Uh, yeah, we all hated to see that happen. I, I was yeah. really hoping it was going to keep going. Yes. Uh, uh, I had a tremendous amount of fun writing the character. Um, 29 issues is a lot for a Hawkman run, I feel. You know, even yep. even this, even in the Silver Age, I think it only went 27. I think it's the um, third long, longest run. Um, I think there's one run of about 49 before it became Heart Girl, one run of 32, and then there's your 29. I think that could be true. There might be one other run in there. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but for me, what we were able to do with the character and uh, add to the mythology, but also sort of make sense of a lot of the confusing continuity of the character. Um, you know, there's not, a, there's not a ton of characters in comics anymore that haven't had a sort of, you know, defining run uh, that embraced everything that came before and then took things in a new direction. Hawkman was one of those characters where I saw an opportunity to do something like that. And uh, when I launched the series with Brian Hitch, he very much saw that too. And what we were able to do, uh, like I say, in terms of making sense of a lot of the convoluted past of the character, but also pushing the mythology in new directions, um, is something that I think I'll always look back on and be super, super proud of because, you know, you do things like Exo Man of War and you do Green Lantern and how to run the Green Lantern Corps 51 issues or whatever. But Jeff Johns had already come along and put that defining run on Green Lantern, you know? So um, for me to be able to do something like that with any character, uh, I feel super fortunate. 
Now, is there any hope that um, Hawkman may return under your guidance, either as a miniseries or one shot something? Hmm. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't. Uh, well, I guess that's not true. With Green Lantern, you know, I did a story in the 80th anniversary issue and things like that, and I would certainly do that if if they ever wanted to do anything like that with Hawkman. But I don't know. I've never really thought about it. Um, I've never really gone back to a character after having written that character. Um, there's certainly more stories that I could have done, you know, which isn't to say that the series was cut short when it launched. I hoped we made it to 12 issues. I really hoped we'd make it to 24 and I, but I didn't think we would, you know, because 24 has a lot of issues in the current marketplace, especially for a character like Hawkman. It isn't one of your sort of top tier characters, you know? So there was a lot more stuff that I could have done with the character. But I always knew what the ending was going to be. Not always, but I've known for quite a while that the ending was going to be what the ending was. It was just a matter of when that ending was going to happen. So I ended the series the way I wanted to. Um, so even though there were other stories I could have done, whether they be story arcs or one-off issues about various past lives uh, that we added to the mythology, we certainly could have done those. But we were able to end the series the way that we wanted to end the series. And Fernando Passerine, who came in and drew, you know, the large chunk of the last year of the series, um, you know, all of his work was spectacular. But the final five pages of, of issue 29, which was our last issue, I mean, those are five pages that I'll hang my hat on. You know, I'm, I'm as proud of those five pages as I am of anything else I've ever written. So uh, I don't know that I would ever go back to writing the character in terms of a, a long story you know, se- ongoing series again. I don't know if I would do that. So th- the next um, story of yours that I've heard about is that you're working on DC's Generation Shattered. Uh, can you give our listeners a, the pitch for basically what the issue is going to be about? Sure. So Generation Shattered uh, is the first of two one-shots. The second one's called Generations Forged, which they just released a solicit for, I believe, last week. It's written by uh, Dan Jurgens, Andy Schmidt, and myself. And they're each 80 pages long, and we have, you know, just a murderous row of talented artists. Uh, Ivan Reyes, uh, Mike Perkins, John Romita Jr., um, you know, uh, Brian Hitch, uh, Fernando Passerine. It goes on and on and on. And so it's a storyline that really encompasses the entire publishing history of the DC Universe, and I mean that literally. One of the characters is is the 1939 version of Batman. You know, very cool. So, uh, you know, we have this this cast of characters. It's it's handpicked from across the various eras of the DCU, whether it's Batman 39 or the original New Teen Titans version of Starfire, or the original version of Steel from the 90s, or Commandy, or Superboy from the Legion of Superheroes, or you know, Sinestro from the Silver Age. We have all these characters that were that we're using that sort of encompass this wide uh, scope of the publishing history of the DCU and putting them into a situation where um, this ragtag uh, team of characters is going up against a villain who is uh, manipulating uh, the rules of the universe to their own end. Uh, and our team has to come in and uh, not only try to stop it, but try to put things right afterwards and, it's it's also very much you know although it's it's nothing like tankers in terms of the absurdist elements and things like that but 
it's very much, you know, us sitting down as writers and trying to think about the things that the audience would want to see and that are just fun and, uh, and big and expansive and really leaning into the potential of a concept that dips a toe into everything from, you know, the golden age to the modern age, and then even into the sort of future versions of the DCU, again, whether it be Commandy or, or the Booster Gold era or the Legion of Superheroes and things like that. We're really taking all of that and having as much fun of it, as much fun with it as we can. So with three writers working on this book, are these stories interconnected? Are you guys working on parts of the same issue? How is this um, interaction happening? Yeah, we kind of like divided up. We, t- we kind of divided up the cast. So if it was a scene, like I, my cast members are uh, Steel, Superboy, and then the main villain. And so if it was a scene where any of those characters were sort of taking the lead, then those would be scenes that I took the lead on as a writer and I would plot them out, but then it would go to the whole group, the other writers and the editors, and we would all sort of go over them and talk things through together and, and, uh, uh, you know, look at everything and, 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 uh, you know, give thoughts and, and on how it could be, you know, bigger. And it's, it's, it is a great collaborative experience, but for me, I'm such a fan of Dan Jurgens, not just as a creator, but also as just a person. Like he, he's just, one of the most stand-up people that I've encountered in comics, and he has every right to not be that way. I mean, you you look at any movie or anything that's on TV, and this guy created like so much of it, <laughs> you know. But yeah. he's just he's just the best guy. And aside from that, you know, the extreme talent that he brings, and the extreme experience that he brings from everything that he's done and the institutional knowledge that he has of the DC universe because he was there for so much of it um, is really astounding. And so, you know, to really sort of see how he works on projects like this and how he goes about, you know, building story and, um, you know, his point of view being not just a writer, but of course also an artist and, and what that brings uh, to his writing um, it's just been such an amazing experience and, uh, you know, we're on the, on the production side of it, we're coming up on when I will have probably finished writing, you know, everything that I'm going to write for the two, the two oversized issues. So I, you know, I won't be, you know, creatively doing those zoom calls with, with Dan and Andy, like I've been doing, yeah. um, but I'll miss it a lot, you know, once I stop because Andy as well, you know, he brings such a unique perspective um, to his writing and, and to the group because in addition to him being a writer, he, he, you know, is a hugely successful editor at Marvel working on, you know, some of their biggest events. And so uh, I'll, I'll miss working uh, with the both of them and, and uh, you know, building story and writing can be a very lonely endeavor you know because you're always yeah. in your house and you're just sort of writing and looking at a computer so these instances where you get to write in an environment like this whether it's a writer's retreat or a project like this where you're really being collaborative on the writing end but you know in addition to of course always being collaborative on the art end uh, it's really rare and uh, I always look forward to those experiences 
So early reports said that Gen- Generation Shattered was going to directly connect to the upcoming Future Slate comics. Is that accurate? And is it still connected to Future Slate? Uh, future State, you mean? Yeah, Future State. Uh, sorry about that. Yeah, there, there, were, there will be. There were, yes, sure. There's elements of that. Uh, it also connects in some ways to Death Metal. Um, so yeah, there are. You know, I'm trying to think. Of, I'm trying to be careful about what I say here. So I, I guess the short answer is yes. I'll just leave it at that. But um, there is connectivity between those things. Yes. All right. Very cool. I, I look definitely forward to reading it. When is Generation Shatter coming out? I can't remember off the top of my head. I believe it's the first. Tuesday in January, so it's like right after the first of the year. Um, but I don't have my schedule in front of me, so I don't know for sure. So, for our listeners, check out Tankers in April. Check out Generation Shattered in January. January. Yeah. And is there anything else that you want to pitch before um, you go? I do have another project uh, with DC, but it hasn't been announced yet. But I believe that is going to be out in January as well. So you should be hearing about that soon. Well, like I said, every anytime you want to promote anything, please come right back. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. No, thank you so much, sir. It was always a pleasure. You're, you're definitely one of my favorite writers. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Vendetti, for coming on. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your new stuff with us, even though you've already been on the show before. As always, you're welcome back anytime to come talk about any current projects you have on, or if you want to come on to shoot the shit and talk about some, you know, if you want to come on and talk about Godzilla, that's cool. We'll do it, and we'll have fun with it. So, that's the show, guys, and, uh, you know, I hope you enjoyed that, and I know you did, and you're still listening. So if you still did, head over to Spoilers.com. You know, all the things I always say here at the end, you know, go check out the other podcast, check out all the articles, you know, go buy something from the store to help support us. But what I really want you to do is I really want you to go to scpod.us slash discord and join our public discord server because I would love to have you come on and chat with you about all the fun stuff that we're doing, about future episodes and about just general chats about comics and movies and stuff, man. It's a lot of fun. So once again, scpod.us slash discord. That'll get you an invite to join our public discord and you can go and join and talk to us all day long. All right, guys, we're out of here. I'm out of here. And as always, in Oceans of Podcast, we are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and read more.